0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gas Boyet.
2: This is Don Hutchison. This is your club, and you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter.
3: Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio, and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed plus lots of bonus content including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly q a you will also get bonus content every month including the audio versions of my regular columns for espn so do please go to patreon.com forward slash graham hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so maybe even strangers in the street love you Part 2. Um, part 2. Uh, guten Morgen to everybody. If you think that Robert Huth is going to, in this part, improve your German, as he did in the first part, then you're wrong. I'd like to say genau. I'd like to say gesundheit, but I can't because I don't know what either of them mean. Nonetheless, Robert Huth, in this part, is going to talk about um, maybe one of the great undervalued players of modern times in N'Golo Kante. Um, a serial winner, somebody who made Leicester a title winner, Chelsea a title winner, and who made France world champion. How can it be that otherwise astute judges are failing to understand his vital importance? Remember that Robert played behind uh, Claude Macalelli and played behind Ngolo Kante, and he can make an educated comparison about the two of them. I also thought that it was an undertold part of Robert's story that he was a German international. At a time of splitting of the atom might be too much, but at a time when Germany, certainly the Mannschaft and the DFB, began to shrug off their old coat and don a new sports jacket. They hired Jürgen Klinsmann, much against the wishes of many of the German media, many of the old-fashioned guys in the DFB. Along with him came Joachim Low. From 2004-2005, they began to reinvent German international football, which led to a splurge of semi-final and final appearances, and of course, ultimate victory in the World Cup in Brazil in 2014. I think that Robert's part in that um, will be interesting to you, particularly in the Confederations Cup, playing against greats, um, making his debut in Berlin, his home city, against Brazil, playing... Ronaldinho, Adriano, the original, the real Ronaldo. And also uh, a night in Dortmund, a night in the middle of the steamy World Cup that Germany hosted in 2006. It's the semi-final. Klinsmann's Germany take Italy, Lippi's Italy, to Signal Iduna Park. And one of the most coruscating, thunderous, brilliant football nights this planet has ever seen takes place and unbelievable things happen this instance, Robert's not in the pitch. Well, he nearly was, and he tells the story properly. Listen to it. You'll love it. And you'll retell it as an anecdote to people once pubs and restaurants are open again. I promise you will. Otherwise, if you want to tell people how much you've enjoyed generally the big interview, there are review systems wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please rate us. Stars or words, it's up to you. We know you enjoy it because you tell us so. Thank you to our socios and our sponsors, Bet365, for the questions they sent in. Part two of Robert Hoot is absolutely exceptional. One of the best guests we've ever had on this series. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you agree. Guten tag. The last one from 365. If there is a forward one forward ever throughout your career that you'd wake up in the morning and and think this is the guy I'm least looking forward to facing again. Was there such a species? But also if there were, who who would that have
2: been? I think that there's two conversations to have. The ones that that conversation that goes in that little brain of mine where when I was playing goes, Shit, I'm actually scared and the ones when you speak to people go, nah, that's gotta be fine. The one I'm gonna give you now, uh, I didn't feel anyone but uh, no, of course. I mean, Dropper was always the one—the nightmare. Uh, I didn't look forward to playing against him at all because he had like not only did he have the the game intelligence of of avoiding of, of sometimes uh, getting tackled or getting in positions where people can nick the ball of him. He also had the ones where he loved the physicality physicality of it, um, and they're the ones where you go, "Well, I've tried plan A, I've tried plan B, I don't know what plan C is." Because he's, you know, he he always, I think in all the older times I played against him, I probably had one one and a half good games where I felt good, all the other ones just you like, man, when it's the ninety minutes over, you know, you look at start looking, <laughs> looking at the clock going, oh god, um, and he at um, all, I think, and, and people will, you know, probably have similar attitudes to mine where header, and then you go in and try and uh, attack a corner, he will clear defensively. Um, then you would run a channel, and then you get your next 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 play you get yourself in a channel to cover that move, and he goes short and you 're like, oh and he 's constantly rattling around in your brain where you just don 't know what you what he did and that 's not a very nice place to be on a pitch when he' not sure how to position yourself against someone that like good
3: is that are we coming to a conclusion then that maybe people generally broadly um, who talk about him, talk a little bit too much about his physicality and his power and his height because you've just described somebody who's got all of those elements, but you've talked about his wit, his brain, his, his game management, his, his ability to, to make you do things you didn't want to do. Is is that a little bit
2: underappreciated in Drogba? I think generally, yeah. I mean, the first thing people would say when they talk about Drogba is, oh, he was a beast. I agree with that for sure. But he was ridiculously clever, clever footballer. And he did some... Clever goals, clever plays. He would drag you out of position for other players to then run in. Or, you know, he had had it all going on. And just to sort of, to say he was only just a beast, it's a massive... massive. It's lazy. I
3: I, want to move on now. I I, I guess time, you know, for me, I'd ask you for another five hours of this. But I guess your life demands that time's running out. So I want to hit two more sections if you'll allow it. You're a privileged guy in the... um, when um, we started and Richard asked a question about that day against Charlton, a name got mentioned in Makaleli. And I know you didn't ask what pisses me off, but what pisses me off in English football language is how, first of all, a central midfield position got called the Makaleli position, as if everybody was going to play a lot Makaleli. And then it's also just called the holding position, as if in a central midfield All you want to do is stop the tide rather than maybe restart um, an attack or position yourself brilliantly so you're an option. Okay, hold it. Anyway, that level of vocabulary to me is part of the problems about UK football that we need to be a little bit more lateral thinking, a bit more expansive. Maybe it's a problem in football journalism, I don't know. But you've played with um, both Macaulay and Angolo Kante who seem to me to have football brains about that position, that role, that at least are reminiscent of one one another. I'd like you to to talk us through the two players, if you don't mind, particularly given that often you'd be playing behind them, maybe not directly behind them, but they'd be a first line of organisation in front of you at centre half. And to begin this section, what is that position? In Spain, it's called the pivote because they take a lot of basketball ideas. That position generally. What's it called in German?
2: Number six. Number six.
3: Number six. In the in the sort of IAX numbers, mean positions manner
2: of thinking. Yeah, number six. Um, but I mean, when McAlellan certainly came to Chelsea, but the game's changed a bit more with the sort of bit more attacking, you know, the fullback starting to get, get a bit more forward. So that, that position came so important to Chelsea at the time because you know, we had the full going, with Pereira, we had Wayne Bridge, we had Ashley Corbin, I actually thought Co- I wouldn't have played with him. But these sort of players that were defenders, but they're starting to, you know, get into the final third, leaving positions open, and that sort of change of, of game, game play, just required that sort of player, just to have a bit more of an eye about plan B, the backup, you know, you've got the all these things going on around you, and it's it's great when you when you're attacking, but he also needs pe- players to have to, to think, shit, what if he doesn't beat him? Where do I need to be to make sure we stay there? Or if he completely used the ball, I'm there then to break out, i.e., make a foul, win the ball back, or just get into a position that was, is now left open. Where I think Kante differs from Makale is, I think Kante sort of, has that sort of ability to step in a bit more. Uh, where you know he intercepts a ball, and then he makes instant five, six, ten yards, and he's of you know he, you know we he, would have he breaks that line of you know of the midfield, and he's he's got that sort of open pitch in front of him where he could pl- pass it to someone a bit more attacking. But um, but again, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. I think for you know in the UK today, a couple of days ago, we saying oh, he's not really that sort of him or Declan Rice. I'm like. It's Kante all day long, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. no, there's, no, there's nothing Kante can't do that, that, that like Declan Rice can do. I mean, if there was a big game today, I know who I, can, who I would play, um, and it's, it's Kante.
3: Don't you think that applies your, your logic that you've done there? I think, and I don't know how widely you watch European football, I'm a journalist, you know the footballer, but in my eyes, I think you could repeat the argument you've made there about Kante in the majority of elite midfields around Europe. I think he's got so many talents, such vision and such a brain. Okay, remorseless energy too, that's until he's, he's had a little bit of injury difficulties recently. He stands out as a player. He could drop into any elite side in the last 20 years across any of the leagues. And I think he doesn't just flourish. I think he makes that team a winning team. Title or not is not relevant because there's 11 men in a team, 24 men in a squad. But I, I, don't, I don't understand that. And also I don't understand that after what he's done... For Chelsea, for Leicester, for the national team, how can anybody not put him as one of the diamond footballers of our last 20, 25 years?
2: I agree with you on know, all of it. And he's such an intelligent player. The one negative is that he's such a good footballer that even when he'd been played out of position, he still kind of looks good. So when um, Sari was at Chelsea, for instance, and he played him in that sort of weird position, and he still looked good. He didn't look as good as, you know, like someone who's been playing that position for years and years and years, but he still looked 95% into the player. And that's the only negative I can think of where you could probably put him left midfield. I mean, the best example, we had him at, at Leicester and we didn't know where to put him for the first sort of 10 games. So we put him left midfield and he was the best player on the pitch by a mile. And, you know, we had uh, and Inla at the time sort of playing in that holding position that we sort of needed. And it took a few games to change it, and then I thought he was brilliant playing on the wing for for us. And then you put him in front of me. I was thinking, oh, this is all right. Go on, son. Go on, son. But the, like I said, the get the the sort of interceptions and and the way he, he gets himself in positions where he just stops the attacks is. I can't think of someone who's who's been in my time anyway who's been as good as that. Um, and again, people were probably saying he's got that crazy energy, which you need in that position, but. I mean, half of the time he doesn't even need that energy because he, he, he's read it. Well, is it like
3: I don't know if you're a strictly come dancing fan, but if you're the centre half behind a cante on form in the number six position, are you kind of moving in tune? Is it is it like uh, he's going there I'm going with them? And it, 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 all right, you're, you're vertically rather than face to face, but is your mind going? Yeah. It, as it's coming at me, he's making the first decision and therefore I'm reacting to his decisions about where I need to be. That space, that space, is, is that right or wrong?
2: It, it probably helped me staying in my position rather than, than sort of being out of it because what he was exceptional at, or what he is exceptional is, is sort of that, that breakdown recovery of spotting where the when the opposition wins the ball, he spots it yeah. better than no one where, where the ball's going to go. So rather than me reacting to that, I only react to Kantig going, and sort of sniffing out the danger, as you say, in football. That allows me to stay in my position, which ultimately gives the whole team a lot more stability rather than shape. Rather than me now being out of position and there's this big hole here and they're breaking, it just, it, 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 it stops resist and that sort of shape. And he he did that. He had that ability just to go, well, he's clear when I head up from a corner. It's gonna go there, so therefore, I'm going, and it just allowed or allowed us to sort of stay in that sort of shape. Because you you see sometimes, I mean, you know, when defenders get pulled out wide, that's when the shit happens, isn't it? Most of the time, you know, defender centre halves being out on the wing against someone a bit more tricky, they're getting done, and all of a sudden, in your boxing, you you know, you're looking to to hang on there. But with Angola, he was um, he just read danger so so perfectly.
3: The last one on him is that you've been, we've noticed, we we do a little bit of work before these interviews, whether it shows or not, and we've noticed how popular you've been in every dressing room you've been in. And it's easy to understand why popular with fans too, revered. It, it appears that N'Golo, although he's a very different guy from you, um, it appears that there's something about him that's deeply infectious, apart from the, the fact that he makes everybody else's job on the pitch easier and you're more likely to get win bonuses and medals. But Those those little things aside, he, he was the guy that the French squad composed a song about and lifted off the pitch and all thought that he was the number one reason they won the World Cup. There are legion tales from fans about N'Golo Kante just being a diamond bloke. Is, 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 what's your version of as a bloke, not just as a footballer?
2: You know what, if I'm honest, I, I probably have spoken to him, apart from obviously on the pitch, you know, just a limited amount of time. It was just not because I don't like him, it was just the fact that he's so quiet. You know, he's so respectful of of his surroundings. You know, he would just sit there having lunch and sort of, well, he just eat his lunch. Um Then say goodbye and <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, and Adami and the was just like at yeah, first. Yeah. I if he was a bit rude, you know, like normally we have lunch, we have a chat, and his English got better, so he definitely understood what we were saying and all that stuff. I just thought it was a bit rude, but that was just his
3: personality. Really, really unassuming. This uh, this last section to sign off on, and um I promise you, I don't want to. Is is a choice? Well, I've never offered a guest a choice before, but I'm. I'm deadly interested in two things, the arrival at Leicester when they make the signing of the century because they're about to go down and you and the others and Pearson save them, that section, or I'm fascinated by you working for Klinsmann and Germany hosting a World Cup and you're what they call in Spain titular, your your first choice in five Confederation Cup games which are all dull, boring, nil-nil draws. And you play against Adriano and Ronaldinho, and that must have been at the young, ebullient Chelsea champion stage. That must have been a hell of an experience in your own country, followed by a World Cup where you played a different amount of time. Uh, Robert,
2: whichever subject interests you most? Probably Clinton, actually. Um, Yeah. That sort of journey, because, again, he was an innovator. for the German FA, really. Uh, We sort of saw the game with a disastrous Euros 2004 where Germany took a good hard look at themselves and thought, well, this is is not going to be a way forward. You know, everything was a bit slow, a bit sort of... So he came in and he brought this sort of um, American uh, performance team with him. You probably would have heard it in the African performance they were called back in the day. I don't know, I think I might have changed names. So he brought them in and uh, all of a sudden it was, you, you, you're getting judged on results, you know, not on, um, not on name, not on, on past games. You know, we, we, we did the sprint tests. We did all these sort of performance related tests where, well, if we, Germany, want to have success over the next sort of ten ten 10 years or whatever, this is the sort of players we need. We don't need any slow center backs or big number nines. We need a bit more. More flair, a bit more agility in the game, a bit more all this sort of stuff, and then he brought that in. And again, he sort of, you know, the, the, the time where he could hide behind what he could be or, or, or who you actually are, he exposed it, and everyone everyone stood up. And that sort of linked in straight away with with Mourinho with me because 2004, you know, I've had exposure to that sort of, you know, the level of, of judgment of, of, of your performance. When I got called up for, for the national team, it was like awesome, brilliant. I've done all these tests before, just sprint, you know. All this. So he was a big fan because, believe it or not, back in the day I was quite fast. Um, probably, probably won't believe him now, but
3: I'm here to tell you about another podcast. Yes, we believe in biodiversity. It's from the makers of the Big Interview, and it's called Between the Lines: The Stories Behind Great Sports Writing. Every episode takes a classic sports book or outstanding piece of sports writing and examines how the writer crafted their story. This is a weekly show and the series so far has featured documentaries on the miracle of Castel di Sangro and Andrea Perlo's autobiography I Think Therefore I Play. There's also interviews with writers like Henry Winter, Simon Cooper, Andy Mitten and David Goldblatt. Here's Ralf Honigstein with his brilliant piece focusing on Erling Haaland signing for Borussia Dortmund instead of fill in the blank, but we know it's Manchester United. A transfer story is essentially as a happy story. Three parties got what they wanted. Everyone thought that they had done great work and had got a great deal out of it. Dortmund were proud of their achievement of getting this guy. Haaland, I think, was really, really happy with having made this decision. I think the agent obviously wanted to show that why this was the right decision and and why others were wrong to sort of dismiss the reasons why they went, etc. So as as much as it is a detective work, it's not solving a murder case. You are dealing with something that is actually quite positive and that people are to an extent quite happy to talk about.
1: only from Rustolium
0: That's stamps.com code program.
3: I'm old enough to remember having seen you and knowing how fast you are, And because I was reporting on the beat then and I was going to uh, World Cup 2006 um, to work for a Chinese agency, I watched a lot of and. and it, sorry I'll butt out but my supplementary is going to be about Klinsman and, and the Dishager th- but yeah you were so that your speed was one of the things that he liked in you and, and, and often well certainly in the Confeds Cup you were uh, you were paired with Mertesacker
2: because he played in England and he understands the passion the, you know the sort of aggressivity that was played in that day you know I remember speaking to him he goes that's exactly what I want in your team you bring something a bit different you know you you bring the sort of Tough tackling. I don't mean that, when I mean tough tackling. Not the ones where you just smashing players about. But you know the real sort of the aggressivity to win the ball back. Um, and let's he said, that's what that's what I need, as well as Germany being able to play a little bit higher. Because um, at the time Germany were sort of, you anyway, know, it happens to everyone. You, you have the sort of generation. 2004 was one of them where the, the back four was very old and slow. And that's just the nature of the, of the game, of the sport. You know, the older you get, the slower you get. And you always got the young, hungry ones fighting for your position. And that was me at the time. And you just wanted to change the style, uh, bring a bit more pace in. You saw that sort of change of, of style. Um, and it's, it's still there now. They still got the, um, the team working for the German FA now. They're still sort of monitoring all this stuff. Um, so it's something that wasn't just an innovative innovation. It's something that, that stayed. You know, it wasn't just a let's just well, this for World Cup or for Euro. It was it's a prolonged change of German football.
3: Correct me if I'm wrong. At that time, I seem to remember. I'm not sure if I've got my my bodies right, but the, the DFB are those who appoint the national team coach, right? The DFB is that right? That's the the FA in Germany. DFB. Um, I seem to remember that there was a pretty big debate now. Whether that was just me from a distance seeing. Old fogies, old old conservatives in in the football media, or, but I I thought that with Klinsmann coming in um, with what he proposed to do coming in from America, I think he was felt to have been a bit uppity because he was a, he's a I mean he was a fabulous one of the great post war German footballers stands out in in an elite group, but he, he, I think he was regarded as a little bit uppity, a bit of a hippie, and to get him into post, I think it took pr- pretty hard work from a certain group of people in DFB against, not a tidal wave, but against scepticism of conservatism. Is that wrong?
2: No, no, you're right. Uh, and the press probably uh, were on the front foot, you know, angling that sort of agenda against him, saying you know, he's a very smart guy. You know, really, really smart. And he's just open for new ideas. And at that time, you know, it probably wasn't <laughs> so well thought out in Germany, because he, he came with his crazy ideas uh, crazy not crazy absolutely normal now, but you know not just nutrition value all these sort of stuff which is completely normal now but back in the day he was like no but that's that's not how we do it here you know that sort of old school attitude it's just we've always done it this way so we keep doing it and he was sort of no we need to change we need to do this we need to do that but where where it's down for us was we lived in LA. you know i think he's got an american wife um and he would fly in for the games and then fly out for the games and i think that was sort of the biggest sort of anti klinsman agenda you know it was like you lose he lose a game and then the next morning he flies off to yeah to southern california and then you can you can just see the, the guy behind the laptop going well we lost in germany and he doesn't care he's all you know when really if you know him he'd be watching the game back on his 12 hour flights, speaking to people getting getting different views in and and for all that stuff not to happen again. But there's some really intelligent journalists like yourself and there's some stupid ones that just make up ridiculous stories to drive a stupid agenda. But um, he was as focused um, and as prepared as he can be living out there and clearly getting to a a semi-final back home um, at the time don't think many of many of us expected to be that.
3: Let me let me close up this section and, and the interview on two things. Then it, it, does it stick in your mind about playing in the Confeds, which was a roller coaster of three nils, four threes, two twos? But you play against a hidden guy in Adriano, who at his peak was a was a devastatingly fun, interesting, clever forward, and you had a Ronaldinho just in the Confeds. Uh, coming to his peak just before he falls off and goes partying with Deco and whatever, and you played that team and you lost a, a thriller fight too. I, I, I'd, I'd like to know if there are memories of those footballers and the test that they gave a young Robert Hood. And I have to then close on, on Thursday, fourth of July, two thousand and six, one of the most momentous, outstanding games I've ever been present at in, in, in Dortmund, where. In the end, it's Germany Italy two in a stadium where Germany have never lost a competitive match before. But that is one of the mentalist, most beautiful games of football, as painful as it is for the Mannschaft and the rest of the nation. That was just, that's that's what makes people write opera. But Brazilians first, if you've got any memories of Adriano, the Emperor and, and Rondinho.
2: I actually made my full debut in Brazil back home um, in, in Berlin. And that was actually my first Start up for the national team. I probably remember that one more than the Confederations Cup for some, well, first I'm guessing. Deanna, I just got told in the afternoon you're playing, I didn't think I'd, I'd get a sniff in and, and, and again, Geung was sort of, that's off, well, I've got this young, hungry 20-year-old and everyone was expecting I wasn't going to get a game. And he just went, out oh, come on, come on, Rob. get your boots and you're playing. Which was great, because you know, if I had a night to sleep on, I would have probably shit my pants. but <laughs> um, So it was pretty cool, I Get my, my Germany debut back home in Berlin. But same um they had the, the original Ronaldo playing, who was one of my all-time favourite sort of idols. Uh, he played, uh, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho played, Roberto Carlos played. They all played, and I'm just sort of... Do you,
3: do you want me to read you the team? Do you want me to read to the team on Wednesday 8th September in the Olympia Stadium, Berlin? Uh, Julio Cesar, Rocky Jr., Ed Mielsen, Belletti, Juan, Roberto Carlos, Edu, Geninho Jun, Pernambucano, Ronaldinho, Rona, R- Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, Adriano. Coached by the, the extremely successful and interesting Carlos Alberto Pereira. And when Clancy gave you your shout, it's with Oliver Kahn, Frank Farinhorst, who I'd forgotten about, Hinkel, who played at Sevilla. Yourself, Philip Lamb, Thurston Frings, Sebastian Daisler, who had such a tortured um, personal life, Bernd Schneider, good Leverkusen football, I think made the Champions League final against Madrid, I think. Balak, who did the same, Kevin Kurani, Gerald Asamoa, um, and sort of Gorlitz and Podolski, of course. And 1 1. 1 1 it finishes.
2: One year. we're going one year down early One not free kick right in the top corner and I'm thinking oh here we go <laughs> this is going to be my, my first game we get spanked at home I've got everyone in the everyone in the stadium um, but yeah I mean talking about surreal you know they're, they're, they're the guys that you watch on TV I see obviously Ronaldo scoring against Germany in the 2002 World Cup bit of memories and all that stuff but yeah I mean I was just I was like a you know, in a dream, being on a pitch, not pinching yourself because you're in the morning, but it's, I, I loved it. And you hear sometimes people freezing or get nervous, but I, just, I was loving it.
3: I'm thinking about the pride of people um, who knew you growing up in Biestorf and, and got to go to the Olympic Stadium to watch you coming off um, on even terms at 20 with three of the greatest Brazilian footballers there's ever been. That ain't bad. That ain't bad. And without causing too much pain, I saw you recognise what I was talking about. In that, although it's a painful uh, German night, that game against Italy um, was, you know, it, Italy perhaps man for man you might say. Certainly, there were more there were more experienced at winning at club level. There were there were footballers there who'd just been serial winners. You had Lippi, who clearly is one of the the, the great coaches of modern times, and yet the game. It's just delicately balanced, and it's blow for blow. It's tactical, but it's not a stalemate that, that you know you would misinterpret by looking at it nil-nil until the 119th minute. And Lippi puts on 16 for, It's Italy, and he, he puts on 16 forwards and plays with one at the back. He rolls the dice and he gets his reward, which is a pain in the arse for, for Robert, who's sitting on the bench with Novotny and, and hits another guest on this so,
2: I don't know if you retain things from that night apart from the pain. What I remember is probably not Lippi putting on all the strike. I just remember, remember um, Carabao's performance on that day. You know, you're looking back at like, individual performance of, of any player at any time, at any level. But that guy was just insane. And I think, if I remember correctly, I think he even set up the second one. He 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 stepped into midfield, won the ball, then we won the ball back, we crossed it. He won the header and then stepped in again, played the ball to uh, Del Piero and he put it in the top corner. That level performance in a semi-final was just... I know Grosso will get the, the mention and, and obviously Del Piero with the finishing 2-0, of course. But, I mean, everyone in the Italy squad just looked at him and that was insane, because I did. Um, and I was just... I remember in the second half, we had a free kick and uh, Kinsley said, if you score this, you're coming on um So I was like, you know, like, just like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know whether I was happy or I was shitting it. I was like, I was just like, oh god! So I because it was always going to be a game that whoever scores first wins the game. I, th- I always had that feel to it. That's the way sort of we prepared. Um, and unfortunately, went to Italy and they obviously went on to win it. But we don't normally beat Italy in in a, in a big tournament. Uh, it was only last year that we did in the Euros. Uh, yeah, so I was always up against it, but but again, you know, we're talking about sort of learning from mistakes, learning from losing big games and all that sort of stuff. So we lost obviously the semi final in two thousand six, lost the final to Spain. Uh, two thousand eight, Torres scored, lost the semi final again to Spain, where Carlos Puya scored the amazing header, got to the semi final again at the Euros, where we lost, beaten
3: by Italy, beaten by beaten by Mario beaten by Mario, or having a mental 35 minutes and then they're exhausted and you look like you're going to win, you look like you're going to win I and mean, it just
2: doesn't... And then you get to 2014 and you finally arrive at the World Cup final and you win it, you know, so we're talking from 2006 till mm-hmm. 2014, you know, mm-hmm. that's a lot of tough losses to take to take on board individually and the team were young, so, yeah. um, you know, talking about learning from your mistakes and sort of Doing it the right way. I mean, they must have looking back at a period, you know, losing to Spain twice in, in massive yeah. games. Oh, three times actually, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, three times. I mean, you must have thought it's never gonna happen. Um so it's that sort of, you know, don't don't give up, keep believing, you know, you, we're gonna get there, that resilience, you know, you're not gonna be judged by a loss. You know, you you're gonna have to chance again to do it. And yeah, I mean that was a that was a pretty cool moment beating Brazil 2014-71. but um, yeah, but they finally got there, um, and they sort of they' reached the, the peak that teams get, and um, you know, when a World Cup doesn't get any better than that.
3: It, it doesn't. I wish it had been you, <clears throat> but we can't do anything other than say that um, the reason we've asked you on it, apart from meeting you in London, was that you've gone an enormous amount um, to the game in England, n- not just with your trophy wins. Uh, and, and, and champion with two different clubs is an exceptional thing for Henry to achieve but your personality and your attitude and I don't know what's going to come next this is the end of the interview you've talked about mentoring I've heard your scepticism a number of times about modern coaching and whether to coach or not but I really genuinely hope that as soon as it's pleasing to you that you're adding your football perspective and knowledge back into the gene pool somewhere because I think it's quite important if we've both identified things that we don't understand or like about football development, football ideas, it is quite important that you find the right way to channel back what you can share and teach and impose on people. That's something that you've, you've, you've kind of got to do, but I don't know which is the best way for you to do it, I admit.
2: I'm, I'm fortunate to take a bit of time off to think about how how I'm going to do the next move, but um, I'm doing the sporting directorship at the at Manchester, so that's something I'm I'm keen on learning, you know, the behind the scenes stuff. But yeah, there's so many different ways of football, and we just don't know when and how football is going to be open for, for, for sort of these sort of changes because still quite a bit of old school thinking that's going on.
3: Well, meantime, um, this has been a pure joy. Our, our listeners um, will definitely agree with that. We owe you a lot for being so generous with your time, but also just outright the big thing says I've enjoyed that absolutely it, it it's t- teaches me challenges me and occasionally you made me laugh Mr H thank you very much thank you for listening to the big interview it's produced by me which sounds egotistical but it's also true Graham Hunter and back page Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us, at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here end of the lesson.